1: There's a battle going on For the souls of men The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms Of God's dear bride She is the keeper of my soul She is the church of Christ I'll not
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. This gospel message will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian clothed with the armor of a gospel defender. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not yet noticed in your study of the Word of God, let me remind you that it is all about Him. The Word is written for you and for me, but it is all about Him. Even though you would think by looking at the 21st century church that the Word of God is all about us, it is not. It is all about Him. And as far as that is concerned, the Church herself is all about Him. The messages that we hear preached, the lessons we hear taught, the songs we hear sung, the prayers we hear prayed, the money that is given, and the table that is spread before us is all about Him, or At least, they should be. It is becoming increasingly apparent in some places that what the Church does when she comes together is no longer about Him, but about us. And because of this, most people outside the Church see nothing unique about the Church, and those in the Church are witnessing nothing unique to the world. In short, we have an unspiritual mess on our hands that's going to take a whole lot of preaching, a whole lot of teaching, a whole lot of praying, and a whole lot of repentance to turn around. For those who can still remember the days when the church and the word were all about him and not about us, we bring you this particular message found in Luke chapter 5. What strikes our attention about this particular event in God's Word, written in the first eleven verses of this chapter, is not only does Luke write about this particular gospel event, but also do Matthew and Mark. Each of these three synoptic gospel writers had their own personal and particular perspective regarding this event. None of the three Gospel writers contradicted either of the other two, but each saw the event from a different vantage point. But in this hour, we will look at the event through the eyes of Dr. Luke. His record of this event is written for our edification, and it is all about him. Jesus of Nazareth. The first thing that we note in this passage of Scripture is Him and His message. It is written in Luke 5, verse 1, that the multitude pressed about Him to hear the Word of God. The word pressed here is a word that means to squeeze. The great crowd of people were putting the squeeze on Jesus to hear the word of God from him. They wanted to hear his message of the hour. I have never experienced this in my ministry of over five decades. I have never been anywhere where people shoved and pushed others aside to hear me preach. I have had what I thought were good messages, but the multitudes have not been all that interested to hear me preach. This was not the case with him. Whenever and wherever he preached or taught, he always drew a big crowd. And he did this without having any unconverted celebrities on the platform with him. He did this without being teamed up with famous singing groups. And he did this without buses bringing crowds to the stadium or Colosseum. He drew big crowds because the people knew. He had something to say to them that was important to hear. He had a message for which people were starving to hear. Perhaps this explains in part why many places do not draw a big crowd today. Few are the messages that really feed spiritually undernourished souls. And even fewer are those who are really hungering and thirsting to hear something from the Word of God. There are even few in the church who appear to be all that interested in hearing the Word these days. They seldom show up to hear it preached. But Jesus had a message that fed his hungering audiences. He not only had a message, he knew his message. He had something spiritual to say, and he said it. This is not true in many places today. I have attended many preaching sessions in many places during the years of my being an evangelist. There is a horrible trend going on today for too many congregations. The Word is shoved aside as something not really all that important. There is more attention given to the big screen hanging from the ceiling that has replaced our hymn books than on the Savior who hung on the cross for our salvation. Not even the songs sung have much spiritual meat. They're peppy, they're cute, and they certainly are repetitive, but they don't do much for edifying the spiritual soul. Unless you are a teenager or trying to be one, they don't do much as far as inspiring or motivating anyone to live the Christian life. The message of Jesus, on the other hand, was all about things that have something to do with one's relationship to God. His message was about salvation, about how his audiences needed to repent of sin and be obedient to the word of God about the need to come under the lordship of God Almighty. Today we don't hear much about these subjects because they are not seeker-friendly. In Luke 5, verse 2, we read that Jesus saw two fishing vessels standing alone without their crew. The crew, we are told, was Peter, James, and John. They were focused on washing their fishing nets, but because Jesus was focused on the gospel net, he had Peter take his fishing vessel out a little from the land. And then the Lord sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. No matter where Jesus was, he could always find a pulpit nearby. The pulpit on this day was Peter's wooden boat. The preacher was in a boat, and the people were on the shore, and water separated the two of them. I find this to be true in the ministry of those who are faithful preachers of the gospel. It is the water that separates the preacher from his crowd. Faithful gospel preachers will preach the same plan of salvation from sin that was preached by Jesus and his apostles. They will preach, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the water in their message is what many times separates the preacher from his audience. I find myself in a very small group of preachers these days who want anything to do with this particular part of God's plan for saving people from their sins. There are also those in the church who want nothing to do with the water. They have separated themselves from the preacher, but more importantly from the Lord and His Word. I don't know what the Lord taught from the boat on that day, but whatever it was, it drew a great multitude of people. Like I say, the word of God is all about him. And here in this fifth chapter of Luke, we see him and his message. Next, in verses 4 through 10, we see him and his miracle. When we think of Jesus, it is only natural to think about the miracles that he worked. Almost everywhere he went, his message was accompanied by a miracle. Of course, unlike today's phony miracle workers, the miracles he worked were for the purpose of directing the attention of his audience to the message and not to himself. No one had to stand in line No one had to have a ticket. No one was pre-screened. He did what he did, with no advance billing. Peter, James, and John had been out all night, but had caught nothing. Jesus knew this, but told Peter to launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Peter and his mouth reminded the Lord they had toiled all night at their favorite fishing hole and had caught absolutely nothing. That word toil means they had labored to catch something until they were exhausted. They had used the right bait. They had used their best nets. They had worked at it hard, but there wasn't anything out there. Nevertheless, the Lord said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Even though Peter thought it would all be for naught as far as catching something, he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. We need to hang our spiritual hat on Peter's response for just a moment. There is something in Peter's response that every lost and every saved man, woman, boy, or girl needs to learn and practice. We need to learn how to say to Jesus, At your word. There are some things in Peter's theology that we must avoid as Christians, but this is not one of them. There were times when Peter was too mouthy, too impulsive, and too overbearing. But in this case, Peter was submissive to the will of the Lord of the fish. In effect, he said, Lord, because you have said to do it, and because you have encouraged me to do it, I will do what you have commanded me to do. We cannot imagine what would happen in the church that Jesus built if she had Peter's attitude of at your word. When Jesus says the church is to preach the gospel message of salvation to the whole world, her response ought to be at your word. When Jesus says the church needs to be in the assembly around the Lord's supper table on the first day of the week, her response ought to be at your word. When Jesus says the church is to give her tithes and offerings on the first day of the week, her response ought to be, at your word. When Jesus says the church is to love one another, to demonstrate to a lost and dying hell-bound world that she has a message needed by the world, her response ought to be, at your word. At your word, at your word, at your word. And when a damned-for-hell sinner hears Jesus say, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, that lost sinner ought to respond, At your word. When a damned-for-hell sinner hears Jesus say, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish that lost sinner ought to respond, At your word. When a down-for-hell sinner hears Jesus say, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess also before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That lost sinner ought to respond, At your word. And whenever a damn-for-hell sinner hears Jesus say, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, that lost sinner ought to respond at your word. But we cannot expect a lost, damn-for-hell sinner respond in this way when there are those in the church who don't even believe taking Jesus at his word. When it comes to Jesus' view of sin, I want to take him at your word. When it comes to Jesus' view of the coming judgment, I want to take him at your word. When it comes to Jesus' view of hell, I want to take him at your word. When it comes to what Jesus teaches concerning the one body and one spirit—one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father—I want to take Jesus at your word. It is for certain that no matter what we may or may not do in response to His word, It is that very word that will determine whether or not we are saved or lost in eternity. Because Peter and the others took Jesus at your word, they witnessed a great miracle. Dr. Luke says when they had done this, when they took Jesus at your word, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking, so much so that the boats began to sink. What a contrast there is between Luke 5, verse 5, when Peter said they had toiled all night and caught nothing, and Luke 5, verse 7, when the boats were on the brink of sinking with their great catch. That which made the difference is on their first fishing expedition, they went out by themselves, but on the second fishing expedition, they went out with Christ. Without Christ, there can be no success in catching fish. Without Christ, there is no salvation. You may pray a sinner's prayer. You may go to an altar, but you will do it without Christ. Unless you are saved by Christ, according to His terms, you will never know the miraculous act of salvation. As a congregation, you may have soul-winning programs, soul-winning gadgets, soul-winning tricks, but unless Christ and His plan of salvation is offered to those for whom you are fishing, They will remain lost in their sins until they obey his word. The miracle of Jesus had a profound effect upon Peter. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The miracle was personal to Peter because it took place in his presence, in his boat, with his nets, and concerned his business. Ladies and gentlemen, is Christ personal to you, or is he only someone you have heard about? Or in the case of your congregation, is he only someone to whom you only pay lip service? Not until he works his miracles in your presence, in your life, in your congregation, and with your own sin, will he ever be personal to you. Now, like I said before, word of God is all about him and here in this fifth chapter of Luke we see not only him and his message and him and his miracle but also we see him and his mission. Following the miracle Dr. Luke tells us that while Peter was in a state of astonishment and amazement Jesus told him from now on you will catch men The purpose of the miracle was to impress upon Peter's mind and heart and life that he had a greater mission in life than catching fish. He would catch men with the gospel net. No longer would Peter be out all night looking for sunfish, swordfish, salmon, or sardines. He would be looking for souls. Peter's mission would be Christ's mission. But this would require Peter's conversion to Christ. And he was. The word says that he and the others forsook all and followed him. Are you really converted? Are you really sold out for Christ, or do you only talk as if you are? I don't know who said that we were saved to serve, not to sit. But whoever it was got the idea from the word of God. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Peter and his companions demonstrated their faith in him by their willingness to pursue their calling to his kingdom. They did not have all that much, only a couple of boats, a few nets. But they forsook all and followed him. In this hour, I would urge you to do the same. Whether you are a Christian who has lost direction as a disciple, or whether you are a person who has never had any real direction in your life, consider him and his message, him and his miracle, him and his mission that are recorded in the Word of God. Leave behind your boats in which you are drifting on the sea of life with no purpose. Lay down your nets in which you are entrapped in a meaningless, pointless, purposeless life. Your life can be turned around and never be the same. Once you realize your life has real purpose and meaning only when it's all about There's him. a battle going
1: on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. The keeper of my soul, she is the church of Christ. I'll not surrender, I'll not surrender, I'll not surrender. I know I'll always be a gospel defender.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Bright in ball speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today. Before it is everlastingly too late, our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575 Chillicothe, C H I L L I C O T H E, Chillicothe, Ohio, Zip 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web. At gospel-defender.org Or by email at agosdef A-G-O-S-D-E-F Agosdef At roadrunner.com At your request A written transcript or an audio copy of today's message Will be sent to you free of charge With no obligation from you now or in the future we need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel. A